This is Coda Radio, episode 165 for August 3rd, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our most established host who is excellent and on the East Coast. Why, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. It's the Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Mike. Hello, hello. Hey, handsome. So uh, I was just sitting here. Thinking about you, thinking maybe we do a little podcast, call you up on a Monday, see what you're doing, and there you are. Magic. You know, we must have this, we must have, you know what? Great minds think alike. We must have been thinking the same things. You want to do a show with me today? Maybe like, yeah, for, yeah, let's do it. for like the let's 165th time? All right, okay, good, good. I'm a little fired up today. I, uh, I'll, I'm going to share more on uh, tomorrow's Tech Talk today. I have a review, but I, I ended up with this, with, I, I'm not joking. In fact, I'm going to Google this for you real quick, live here on the show. Cinch pop-up tents, okay? You can, if you want to Google with me at home, I recommend you do it. Uh, it is a cinch, here it is, Mr. Dominic, I'm just going to show this to you, it's pretty cool. It's the cinch pop-up tent, uh, the ultimate pop-up tent with solar power and LED lights, and the idea is, you know, you just kind of get to your camping spot, and then you just throw this tent down, and boom! You got yourself a tent. Instant camping. Mm. Great for a geek, right? Because it packs up like uh, one of those uh, screen visors for your car, and uh, then you're off to go. So I went out camping uh, this weekend and uh, on Friday, and I went and stopped by a nice river spot, and I did a pop-up tent. They can see it right there if you're watching the, uh, the video version. And I got to say, it was nice and relaxing. It was a good way to sort of unwind and unplug. And here's the best part. I had a little tiny bit of cellular signal. Just a little itsy bits of cellular signal. So I was actually able to... Uh, Actually able to uh, check in and uh, do a few things, so I didn't feel like I was like uh, like like I lost all comforts of modern society. Uh, but at the same time, it was no one else was around. It was extremely peaceful and uh, gorgeous. So uh, I had a good weekend. I got I I I after reading the feedback, I realized, boy, I really need to get out more. <laughs> I need to, I need to get out and relax more. And so uh, I did an effort to do that. Now, how are you doing? How was your weekend, Mister Dominic? My weekend was okay. Um... Did a little bit of work. Don't remember the rest of it. <laughs> you worked. Okay. So you – okay. All right. So I was hoping you were going to come here and say, man, uh, I had a good weekend. I feel recharged. I'm really fired up to do the show. Uh, but that's not – no, no, no. Well – No, I'm trying to think what the hell did I do this weekend. Nonetheless, you have a pretty good show lined up, I got to say. Yeah. I like that. Document. Yeah. Big, big old document. Big show today. Big, big show. And – uh I don't know. We were kind of on the on the uh, on the pre-show. We were discussing some of the some of the meta feedback. We have some uh, we have some feedback that we'll get to towards the end of the show. A couple that came in from the subreddit, a couple links and uh, things like that. So we're gonna do some feedback. We got some hoopla to get into. You want to start with the hoopla right now? <clears throat> Are you ready to jump I'm into the? I'm always ready. All right. So you threw this one in here. It's the uh, unemployable programmer. I like the URL too. It's unemployable.pen.io. <laughs> and. Uh, I I, uh, I I fire this thing up and it's a whole wall of text and it's it is a monster post and the guy starts with I just wrote this in time for uh, the next H uh, HN uh, hacker network I guess hacker news who is hiring thread in, ho- in hopes to provide some perspective into a problem that is rarely addressed in programmer circles but my story is somewhat typical and I think easily overlooked the unemployable programmer did this resonate with you Mr Dominic uh, not exactly so that's why I put it in the show notes actually. I so so go ahead and summarize it first before we dig into this is pretty meaty. Okay, so he talks. He starts in. A, he start. He he starts as a young nerd. He says, "Early in my life, my parents got me one of these Commodores." And he starts talking about how he got very early into BASIC and things like that. Uh, he's you know making little things and little programs, mostly games from an early from an early on. And it was just pure happiness for him. It was a it was a passion hobby. It was something he enjoyed. So he says, "Do it for a living." When I graduated from school, I naturally applied for a university, and I got my first job without having to go through any fancy universities without knowing the right people, but just by virtue of being myself, I was employed and doing what I loved, which mirrors my story exactly. Uh, he says it was amazing. Everybody in the company knew my name, and I saw the work was uh, not I, and I saw work not necessarily a choice between flipping burgers and and drudging your life. 
Uh, instead, programming allowed me to access a place where people had good life and were having fun. And then, you know, it goes on to, in his early 20s, he wanted to increase the amount of time that he got to spend on this. He had a lot of passion. All of a sudden, he got to step up and be the one directing projects. Money kept coming in. Employees started getting hired. All of a sudden, he had a business. Uh. He says, we were vaguely aware that other startups were making huge money, having gigantic exits with what seemed like no product at all. By comparison, we were building what today would be referred to as a lifestyle business. Occasionally, we took meeting requests from investors or companies who wanted to buy us outright, but handing over our independence never seemed worth it, considering the relatively meager amount of money on the offers. It seemed like we would simply earn that on our own by staying put. Then, the market collapsed. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah. Uh, Our money was burning away fast. Rather than fire everybody, which would have been a sensible option, I kept the lights on as long as I could until until I was personally deeply in debt, and it was finally time to shut down our little company. People moved on. A few hated me with a passion, but most just drifted away in disinterest as I took a real office job with a large company to pay down my debt. All right, so if you pause here, it's still sympathetic, right? I'm still with them. Yeah, absolutely, right? Right. So, so, so to me, one flaw in this post is there's two huge things he wants to discuss. This whole what happens when one of these small startup boutiques collapses, which 99% do, right? I'm with you so far because people want to pretend like the owner is the business. That's not mm-hmm. legally mm-hmm. the truth. So you can have a separation. He chose not to, and he probably co-signed the Yeah, I'm the sure. Yeah. Or a line of credit or whatever. In, yeah. he, right, whatever he did that was not smart, he did. Yeah. The so he, so I'm okay, right? He's I feel bad for him. I'm with him. I I would like to have a beer with him so far. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So he says, uh, realizing I need to make a bigger commitment, I started looking for another job, browsing hacker news threads. I started listing myself as looking for a full-time job, and I began writing emails begging for job interviews. Job interviews and programming and multi-stage and multi-resource training on the applicants. But I went in with vague optimism, hoping that despite that, nowadays you have to pass through several layers of random arbitrary screening in order to even get invited to even more grueling in-person interviews. When the companies find out I don't have a degree, that's usually the end of the road. You can tell that they actually read the CV when they tell you to tell you to get lost during the process. Wait, what was that? He says, you can tell they actually read the CV by when they tell you to tell you to get... Oh, <clears throat> right. Sometimes after wasting hours and talking to HR people, filling out IQ tests from questionable self-help websites, and going through programming challenges and enduring passive-aggressive phone interviews with technical people, they suddenly realize. What... What they tell you is that they typically along the lines of, oh, Mr. X was very impressed with your skills. However, we don't have any openings for you right now. And then, of course, next month they see the same job posted again. And it goes on to say there's an objective verdict here. These companies are trying to make a recruit recruiting process efficient, better for employees and employer, employers and employees. Uh, as a final solution, he says, I tried to describe what, what online freelancer markets would look like for people like me. I went to, on, I went to freelancer.com, decided this might be a route for me. You can, complete, you can compete with hundreds of low-wage programmers from third-world countries with exceedingly crappy projects. It's an unmitigated race to the bottom. Even if I could land these jobs in an environment where the competition basically works for free, there's no way to make a living off this. <clears throat> he goes on to talk a little bit about the pricing, too. But he says, uh, I now have a few weeks runway left, and I'm drastically overtaken by my rapidly mounting debt. I feel obsolete, and I'm afraid it's starting to show outwardly. Entrepreneurs will sometimes complain how they can't find good programmers or how there's a shortage in tech. Oh, man, we, we have talked about that, how we hate hearing that. But they're not talking about people like me. They're talking about 20-something Ivy League postdocs with stellar CVs. Personally, I will just keep looking. Maybe something will turn up, but it's a cautionary tale. He says, unemployables unite. Chances are more people like me are out there. Maybe you recognize yourself in my story. Maybe you're at an earlier or later stage than me. Maybe your life story is very different and the end results still look the same. Or maybe you got a lucky break at some point. My plea is that we unite. If we currently are hiring programmers, if you're currently hiring programmers and you recognize yourself in my story, give someone a chance who looks like me. We could even all decide to self-identify instead of inevitably getting found out when they review our resumes. We might opt to tag ourselves openly and maybe even proudly. Yes, my background is checkered and diverse, but I'm knocking out on my I'm knocking on your company's door so we might do great things together. I might work out, I might not, but honestly the chances are not really different if you hire anyone else. I would argue the outcome of hiring an unemployable programmer might in fact be better overall because we're motivated and we get stuff done as opposed to the hipster rockstar programmers we actually do eat and breathe code. It's a pretty uh um, uh, call to arms cry to the other unemployables. Yeah, so it starts, off, it starts off really well. I think he has a great point about, you know, 
when you're doing your own thing, opening a shop or doing any kind of startup, it's really important to mind your P's and Q's on the whole personal liability thing, right? Because the whole point of all of these vehicles, LLCs, S-Corps, I'm not a lawyer, but the whole idea is to insulate you if it goes bad, right? Yeah. To say that, well, the company can close when the company closes, you know, it's insolvent, that's it. Yeah, you know, but you can have that legal structure, but, you know, if something happened here and... Um, oh, if he, gar- <laughs> if he felt bad and guaranteed things for people... Well, no, or- it's, I could just see, like, if, you know, I mean, what if, what if, let's say, like, the recording computer here in the studio died and Jupiter right. Broadcasting didn't have the credit or the cash to cover it, I would go put that on my personal card. I could say that because I've done that before. Yeah, but so I mean, there was there I, was probably a point where I'd put like fourteen thousand dollars of of gear on my own personal credit just because I needed to start the company. That was like my my investing in the company, basically. Well, I've done that. I've done that several right? times too. I don't. I mean, I, I I try to I try to walk a line, but as the company grows, there's times where you just as a as an owner, you have to put in a ton of your own money and basically bankrupt yourself in the process and hope that you build the company up. And sometimes it's just risk. It seems like it seems like you can't avoid it. Well, but. Your case of buying hardware for an expansion or because something breaks is a little different than backstopping payroll. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. So there's a big, big difference between guaranteeing the payroll liability, which is not yours, and shit, my laptop exploded. Right. Yep. Let yep. me go put it on my, you know, Amex or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I follow. Which, it. you know, and when he says debt, it's all relative. I'm thinking very large amounts of debts, right? That a company with that um, number of people. At that size. Well, and he says he decided not to downsize, yeah. Right. It may really only be $10,000 or something relatively. You know, this is one of the problems I have with this article. There's a lot of extreme statements. The thing is, though, it's a really easy trap to fall in. You know, you've got a project. You're close to completing it. You know, you're supposed to get paid when that project's done. Of course, that doesn't mean the client client pays on time. Right. Because the client decides that, you know, they thought they were getting something different, right? I mean, it's a... It's a really classic story. So, what part are you connecting with? Uh, the part that what parts are you connecting with the most that do work for you? Is it is it? Like, the, I feel very sympathetic for the whole, you know, the whole. He feels bad about the people who lost their jobs, that they don't like him anymore. Whatever he backstopped their pay, whatever he did, that was objectively stupid. But he's upset about. I get that. Feel bad. Buy him a beer. This whole business about you know being unemployable. He has half of a point at the very end, right, about the fake shortage. We've talked about this at length. Um, It is true that, you know, there are companies right now who I've been doing iOS since there was an iOS SDK, Mm. would not hire me if I wanted a job because I don't have a CS degree, Mm. period, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they, they would not hire me. They'd hire some kid out of school who doesn't know what he's doing. But do you want to work there? Right, like, this is my whole thing. If you're not, you know... I could never get a job at Microsoft. But doesn't it also come down to there's too much inventory, so they have to come up with these really crazy arbitrary ways to cut through the the extras? I I think there's too much inventory at these very well-known, very stable companies that you've heard about that that you could call your, you know, third cousin twice removed and yeah. she'd know. Yeah, too. yeah, right. Yeah. Like like even here, we have in New Jersey a bunch of big companies. We have Merck, Johnson & Johnson, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, you guys do, don't you? Right. It's really hard to get a job there because everybody wants to work there. Why? Because they still have pensions. They have 401ks. Right? If you're looking to the, do the W-2 thing and you want a big company, of course you're going for one of those. But if you're, you know, if you're having a hard time, maybe you have to consider that 50-man shop or that 10-man well, shop. This is exactly what I was just going to say. Is Where the- you know, the benefits aren't as good. Yeah. Um, they certainly don't have a 401k right <laughs> but you can get a job and as a developer even a low-paying dev job is still above the national average this is why i think contract work is going to become a lot more common for this type of skill set because these types of companies uh so as a to me this sound if i was an if i was a developer and i wanted to kind of right. i wanted to work in this kind of field and I want I to me the perfect scenario sounds uh, to be an independent contractor and have two maybe three clients that I see um, and I don't know how that would be maybe you know every now and then or uh, once a week or some kind of rotation in there you know so that way I'm spreading out my risks if any one of them screws up and, but it's not a huge workload and it's right. it's it's small businesses that need like you know like there is so many real estate offices around here that now have apps 
This is a. This is. I. I was. Well, that that's not as great an opportunity. No, I know. I know. I know. I know. But I'm just starting. Like this, every business now has all these. These. No, I know. These apps suck. They're these like pre-packaged, rebranded. That's exactly what they are. Like they bought them online for five hundred bucks. I know. I know. But there are going to be some offices that want to have a notch above. They want to have a step above. Maybe you know, like there's just a lot of little opportunities in small businesses for different things. In my experience, every place I've ever worked at, there's been some development aspect. If there are more than ten people. There's some project there that they need something written for them, something done. But it's not usually enough work to employ somebody full time. And I think people people might be needing to consider a, 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 just a big mind shift in in mindset change in, in in how you view employment. Take it back under your control. You manage it. You reach out to people. You kind of diversify your risk a little bit instead of going to one company trying to get that job. Now, I'm not saying the other one doesn't work because there's also a lot of businesses out there where there's an opportunity for somebody to come sit and just be a full-time dedicated person. That's an amazing opportunity too. Well, you know, if you live in any area with like a, an interactive agency, even small like dev shop, that, you know, every, whatever you want to call them, interactive industry, dev shop, let's just use the term dev shop for now, even though those are kind of different things, but same idea. They only have work when they have a client. Right, right. right. So, in fact, this is one of the, the fundamental things that having employees is super hard for those companies because they expect to get paid every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And what if you're, you know, a small dev shop and your big client decides that they're going to go bankrupt, right? You're out of luck. But wouldn't it like he, this is literally what I you know what what I do right when I was between um, projects what I would do way back when I would email local dev shops with the understanding that of course it's their project not going to be able to show it not going to be able to put it in a portfolio can't use it as a sales tool for myself right so that all sucks but you know what when they have overflow or when they maybe they don't have an on-site iOS developer mm. they really want to make sure no other vendor gets a relationship with a client cuz you know what that sucks having yeah. that on both sides of the table yep, yep. you don't want to share a client because all the other vendors going to sit there and do is try to badmouth you and vice versa with them right because every, nobody wants to be the second vendor hmm. everybody wants to be the primary yeah Oh, you've been here. You have a war story. Oh, oh man, yeah. yeah. It's and you know, yeah. and I've I've also been tempted to be the guy doing the trash talking too. And I've I've that's a lesson I learned. I stopped doing it, but it's you know, tempting I, because I had a case about a year and a half ago where we were doing the uh, front end, and a other company was the legacy contractor, and they were doing the back end, and they refused to give us documentation because they were afraid of that we might try to, you know, snake the whole project. I I found, you know, that the biggest temptation I had was it was almost like a built-in marketing opportunity because I could be like, yeah, we don't do it that way. See, when we do this, what we like to do is – or, yeah, if we had done that, we would document that like this for you and we would put that available online. You know, things like that and that's what I had. That was nothing really mean, nothing like really super nasty, but that's the kind of temptation I'd have to fight all the time. Well, and and because you know – like. You feel a ton of empathy for the last guy in that situation because you know he was probably forced into a fixed bid, and there was probably some you know hostage negotiation at the end of the project to get the sign off. Yep. <laughs> I mean that's just the way it goes on a yeah, fixed bid. Yeah, yeah. If you go in there, it's like, well, you know, there are some enhancements that could be made here. Yeah. Anyway, e- evil sales tactics aside, Chris, mm-hmm. you're a horrible. You Linux guys are brutal. We actually, you know, we well, we came from a, a battle-hardened era where uh, we were uh, fighting against a massive juggernaut, Monopoly, who had a ter- had a home turf advantage where I lived specifically. See, I came up in the when when India was going to kill us all area, so I'm always one of my old sales lines was, well, you know, you might not be having those problems if you didn't offshore it. Yeah, Damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to our foreign listeners, but it is what it is. Uh, so uh, our buddy's uh, lesson, did you have a takeaway lesson from uh, this guy's post? Is well, it- I think he's wrong, right? I think, he, I think he's not employable at the types of jobs he wants because there's just so few of them, right? Go work for the little startup in the shitty office. You know, as long as you're, you know, if your paycheck's clear, what do you care? Well, like really. people really care. You know, it's funny, man, as I had this, I've, uh, and we don't have to belabor this, but I've had this conversation with a couple of people in person, and it always, like, people are willing to do, and, you know, different people have different situations. People are willing to, to, to take a lot to get health benefits. Well, I'm, I'm saying, like, if you need help, like, get, the, get what you need. If you need benefits, get benefits. If you need, um, you know, whatever, if you need a W-2, make sure it's that, right? But 
Yeah. There are plenty. I mean, go on Angel's List, go go on Hell, go on Craigslist, go on freaking Reddit. I know someone yeah. who just got a really good contracting gig who's not me, and I'm annoyed about it. <laughs> Reddit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, really. There are tons of ways to get untraditional forms of quote unquote employment. Yes, and there are tons of little little dev shops and little agencies. Trust me, I've had to compete with all of them. They're everywhere. And if there's a company out there, you know, in your local neck of the woods or somewhere out there that you're on the internet that you're super passionate about and there's a need they have, maybe try uh, solving it for them and presenting that to them and make yourself useful. And you never know. You'd be surprised how quick you can get a job that way. Well, so, not, even, not even that, right? Like, if, even if you want to do a little more prestige, right? You know, Dockyard Thought, but all the big, like, $300 an hour dev shops literally are always taking resumes, right? Because mm-hmm. they have more money than God. <laughs> Um, I know, you know because I've experienced it, he says. <laughs> no, I know because of sons of bitches. <laughs> because they're bastards. Uh, Mr. Dominic, let me tell you about something else you could do. And oh, this is a good way to change gears, I think, if you're making a transition, especially if you want to get current on the stuff that really is getting people paid. Go over to linuxacademy.com, linuxacademy.com slash coders. I love Linux Academy because it's built by people that are truly passionate and enthusiastic about open source and Linux and the entire stack around that. And that means their content not only is currently... Uh, is always up to date and current, but it also means they're following new technologies as they emerge, and they're usually the ones that really resonate out in the market. You know, things like virtualization, Docker, all the AWS services, all a lot of people deploying over at Nginx, a lot of people still getting their Red Hat certifications. The OpenStack technology stack, learning that is such a valuable, valuable skill set, especially if you end up in that DevOps role. There's so many great options over at Linux Academy to get you up to the next level, and here's the best part. You get to choose from seven plus Linux distributions. You get to keep track of your progress, as you go along. A Linux Academy has a really nice system. You log in, it gives you time estimations of the different sections. For me, that's particularly nice because I'm able to say this section or this topic or this concept, that's two hours of my time. That's six hours of my time. It's not this big nebulous thing, this huge thing that I've heard about all these years. It is two hours of my time. That I grok, and it then becomes amazing that I can learn something like whatever it might be. Let's just say it's Ruby on Rails, or you know, say actually, this is a particularly good one. Is I was refreshing myself on rsync when I was moving between a NAS server, right? Because they have actually, this is really cool. This is what I really love is they have these Nugget coursewares. You can go to LinuxAcademy.com/nuggets. They're deep dives. They're like six minutes long, ten minutes long, an hour long. It just kind of depends on the content. You just boop 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 right into that one particular topic. Manipulating logs with said dig for DNS user key loggers, Linux signals. Logging with scripts, video conversion with handbrake on the command line. Now, boy, if you want to do a big batch of conversions, handbrake is a great tool to do that. VirtualBox headless. You see what I'm saying here is like, even for me as somebody who isn't currently like trying to get new reviews or learning new software stacks, there's just certain aspects of Linux Academy that I'm able to go refresh myself on. Or when new technology stacks come out and I want to speak with some authority, I can go to Linux Academy. If I want to challenge myself, I can go to Linux Academy. And you can, too. There's a big community over there, too. A lot of them are from Jupiter Broadcasting. They kind of give you a little nudge when you need it. It's a pretty cool system. I always, always, always get a thrill out of hearing about people that have success stories from Linux Academy, too. Please tweet them at me if you get them. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. You get the Coder Radio discount. You can try it out with our special discount. Maybe choose some of the different distributions. Do some of the scenario-based labs. So you get real hands-on training with that stuff so you feel like you got some serious experience. If you've been curious about the AWS stack and if it really is that big of a different beast scenario-based labs are great for that because part of your linux academy subscription pays for the aws services so that way you're not going to have happen to me like one day after uh, playing around with aws a little while ago playing around with aws i get busy i don't make it back to it for a month for a month you guys that was a huge mistake it was like a 220 dollars bill just for leaving the instance running Part of your Linux Academy subscription covers all of that. They spin up the virtual machines on demand as you need them. They adapt the virtual environment to match the Linux course, uh, the uh, Linux distribution you chose for your courseware. You get a public SSH login to it. I mean, it's just like go over to linuxacademy.com/coders and uh, check them out. Linuxacademy.com/coders and a big thank you, to Linux Academy, for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. The Coder Radio program. The Coder Radio program. All right, moving right along in the Coder Radio program. I like this topic of keeping current, and it's one that our audience struggles with. We get emails on it all the time. We get comments in the subreddit, and it's, there's different takes on it, and there's ones we've kind of uh, hovered around. And I have, to, I have to ask, like, if maybe there's just any point to it, but I wanted to, before we go there, let's discuss this a little bit. You had the topic to chew, to, to, to chew on, 
keeping current. And you started with, does tech get too old? As in, like, is it get too old by the time you learn it? Is that what you're implying? Well, you know, one problem uh, that I'm kind of overly obsessed with, I think, Mm. is general marketability, especially if you want to do contracting. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a lot harder than just Or get a a better job, or if if the current job goes bust, like you got to go somewhere, like how presentable are you? I I think that's pretty reasonable to always be thinking about that. So like one of the things I've been kind of kicking around is like, you know, Rails does what I need it to do mm. and what most of the people I I do work for and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And do you think it also, you know... Nine, like 99% of the time, but go ahead. It's It's got a brand to it, right? So it's, it's got a brand, but it's also, and this is kind of where I'm thinking, you know, now that it's old, it's a little commoditized. And when I say a little, I mean a lot. I agree. So it becomes a lot harder to, one, fend off... You know, not to be waving my Donald Trump American flag here, offshore competition, but it, but it really does, right? Um, two, and as, again, this is going to sound terrible. Rails is almost too easy to pick up, right? To the point of, you know, there are these like three week Rails camps, and there's literally viable competition. Now they're not as you think good. That, do you think that makes you vulnerable for replacement? Is that why you say that? I think it has. I think I think it has had a material effect, actually. Oh, okay. And that, you know, selling, if, if you're going into a new either job or probably more, again, my whole experience with jobs is not exactly perfect um, in terms because I haven't done that kind of thing in a very, very long time. Um, but if you're trying to, be, you know, be an independent contractor, do a dev shop, whatever, you're trying to sell this, let's say you're talking to, you know, someone who doesn't know you from Adam, right? You're going to do this beautiful, responsive design, Ruby on Rails, web application. It's going to cost them, I don't know, Chris, what sounds reasonable? Just give me a number. It doesn't really matter. Let's say it's $12,000. 12 grand sounds great, which actually sounds super reasonable, right, for everything, including yeah. responsive design. They're like, well, you know, we went on Upwork, or we went on Odesk, or Freelancer.com, and we could get it done for like 800 <laughs> Or there's this old cool kid who just got out of this Ruby boot camp who will do it for 4000 and yes, their project probably won't go well, right? And you know, Alex was in the chat. He hasn't been terribly uh, impressed with people out of boot camps. I would imagine that that's the case. Yeah. I haven't employed or in any other way supervised one of them. But again, they must have some value. The boot camp. Well, it depends on the can- it depends on the on the student. If you're right. somebody who just needed a little boost and a point in the right direction. Great right. for you, especially if you're already if you're already pretty familiar with the concepts when you get there. If right. uh, you know, but if you, there's a lot of people that don't fit that description. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it seems rough, right? So, so here's here's what Alex Bell is saying, and I, I kind of I kind of agree. Is is it does it does it matter if it's how commoditized the technology is, and does it matter more about the market you're playing to? Because anything with enough momentum will eventually get commoditized and any right. so that's that's a fair point right jc pennies can sell a t-shirt for twenty dollars but nordstrom can sell it for 50 yeah and it can be the same t-shirt yeah basically so that is a fair point um i think and, and that may be an issue with the way i've dealt with in the past lead generation things like that where i i relied heavily on you know because as you scale you need more and more and more and more and more in a bigger funnel and eventually, it's really tempting to go down market, which is definitely not a good idea. So maybe, but even if that's true, right? Even if you stay up market, there's still a lot of rail shops. I mean, look at Dockyard, one of the one of the biggest ones. Well, they've now totally rebranded and moved away from rails because they couldn't close a deal at the rates they wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, if I could dig it up, we can put it in after show. They had a their uh, Brian the Senadella. Hope I said that right, or Brian. Uh, I apologize for portraying your name. <laughs> Has a great post on their blog about it was just getting ridiculous. I mean, they charge something. I don't know their exact rates, but it's you know it's it's substantial, right? It's two hundred plus an hour, which is very high. Yeah, but, yeah. Again, that's the market they're in, and they're getting killed by people at like seventy five dollars an hour, or sixty bucks an hour, which are more like individual rates. So their solution was to simply, they rebranded, they're now a Ember.js JavaScript design shop. 
which is a fancy way to say we sell people on how pretty things look, which is fine. Like, I'm not, I think they're awesome. I'm not, like, beating them up or anything. But if you take that as just one case study, does that mean that, you know, look at all the big Ruby shops, right? Mm-hmm. There was Dockyard, there was ThoughtBot. Mm-hmm. Well, ThoughtBot's more a mobile shop than anything else right now. I mean, look at look at their projects. Listen to their they do their marketing podcasts and their blog. They're really you know what are they doing? They're pioneering open source Swift right now, right? With Argo and a bunch of their other JSON parsing stuff. Why? Because it's new and it's not. You know, there's not a million other competitors there. But I'll let you jump in. Well, what I'm. Uh... <clears throat> See, with over the, there's a couple of things that uh, are particularly challenging. If if this was a traditional market with a traditional commodity and good being built and assembled and shipped, it wouldn't. One thing that it wouldn't constantly suffer from as much, I would think, is everything constantly gets repackaged, recommoditized, and rebuilt in the, into an easier turnkey solution as time goes on. And so, what was when new things get introduced, it requires an expert and somebody who's just, you know, really a magician to make something amazing out of it. And those people have the first-to-market advantage, and they often set the pace and the tone for design and, and, and ideas and concepts. And then as time goes on, like, you know what, hey, I think back to... Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Like, uh, I mean, not to not to just uh, to, to 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 bang on this one too much, but like hosting and WordPress. Like now, now you can deploy a WordPress blog in like a minute, and there's like a dozen different ways online to get your right. own website up and going. That it, it used to it used to require that a business owner go out. Hire a web dev guy somehow, maybe through a uh, word of mouth, maybe through a business referral group or Craigslist or whatever. That seems to be the common ones in my experience. And then bring them on, be insanely dissatisfied typically with the work because neither one of them could communicate properly. Right. And and then they would have this website that was not maintainable. It was some custom creation thing that would eventually fall apart. And it was on some sort of sh- server somewhere. Now we have this we have a turnkey push button, an entire complicated CMS, very well developed, updated constantly, is now deployed for you, and it can be done by somebody who's really has no experience with the underlying technology at all. And so that keeps happening at every level in the technology field, in every t- single sector. So to me, it feels like a constant rat race. It feels very stressful. And that's why, like, I think we sit, sit here and we worry about skill rot and we worry about, like, do I have to constantly follow the shiny or should I do tried and true because I, you know, there's this c- consistent pressure of that that rides on top of us on these jobs. And I, even though we don't talk about it a lot, I think we feel it a lot. And yeah. what you're talking about here really makes me feel that. Well, and, and not to torpedo my own argument, though, I've definitely seen in my own experience, like, you know, once you go high enough up market, they don't care what the technology is anymore. They just want results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then all those problems of being bit into oblivion kind of go away. But it's really hard and more importantly, extremely expensive to be in that high market rate. I mean, your operating costs are, are absurd. And it's, it's the whole positioning of your business. Uh, well, it's trade shows. I mean, a couple thousand dollars a ticket per person. You've got plane tickets. You got, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, might, I might take another heart attack right now thinking about it. Well, and I'll give you an example of uh, just I don't because I don't I, people hate it when I do this. You know, screw you guys. It's just it's a really easy way for me to relate this. But to give you an idea of the concept difference of work, like if you want to go up market, and let's so let's take the Linux Action Show just to sure. just so Linux Action Show can do two things: it can report the news, or it can actually be there and be part of the news and captured and actually make news. Right. And so the difference in how you do that is to report the news. You, you know, you collect news stories, you review them, you analyze them, and you give you give your analysis in the show, and that's valuable. But if we but and that we could do, but if we actually want to contribute to the news cycle, like if we actually want to go out there and and help capture news as it's happening, then we have to keep flying out to conventions, right? We have to ship equipment that costs six hundred dollars to ship the equipment there, right? We have to stay in a hotel room for a couple of nights and fly, which is a thousand dollars to fly there, and it's about eight hundred dollars in hotel rooms, and we have to go out and interview people, which takes hours and hours, and sometimes we come back horribly sick about every other time from it, and then we spread that horrible sickness to our entire family. Also, that way we can go out there and capture some interviews and the difference is 
we play an interview versus we read an interview that somebody else does, right? right. And that's that's like the, that's the actual manifested manifested difference in the show. But the uh, unbelievable amount of work just to get that slight difference is, oh is it, it's almost unbelievable, right? But what it does is it positions last as actually being there on the scene, interviewing community members, contributors to open source, and capturing where they're at at the time in the show. And it actually is capturing that moment. And the only way to do it is to be there. But it is such an enormous difference in work between reading the news and then analyzing it and actually traveling there and capturing the news. And, but, and, and it all it really does is it comes across slightly different in the show, but what it really does is it positions the show differently. But it's a huge amount of work and cost to actually get there. Okay, so so the and because we were just talking in the chat as well, which people should listen live so you can see the chat. Um, the nearest analogy to that, then, right, to the going to the interviews, and you know, in terms of like what I do, would mm-hmm. be, you know, I'm sorry, man, your app idea is great. I'm not going to do it because you're an individual, and that creates a tremendous amount of risk for me. Mm. I'm only going to work with big businesses, right? I'm only going to work with, you know. Whatever size business, you right? Know, but to your get minimum. your but to, but to get the big businesses to take you seriously, you really have to position yourself in a much different right. way. It's to be at the trade shows. You have to have all yeah. the collateral, which means it's expensive dongles, keychains, marketing materials. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's tough. It could take you. You have to close one of those deals. Could take a year, right? I mean, really. At the size of an enterprise deal, it could take. And today, too, you also have to be maybe having some sort of blog presence of possible, yep. podcasting of possible, tweeting of possible. Like you have to have an opinion that people, you know, and maybe even a name for yourself a bit if you really want to do well. But you don't and have let's to. To be honest, you kind of really need an intro. Yeah, you kind of need someone to introduce you to the right person who can then introduce you to the right other person. Yeah, and it helps if they have, if they can say, like, he's the creator of or something like that, too. It does help, yeah. 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 So how does this so how does this relate back to keeping current? I mean, do you feel like this is a rat race that it depends on I feel on- like some people are doing this thing where, you know, every 3 years we say, "Oh, Rails is old. We're going to go to Node even though we're doing relational problems hmm. and we're writing somebody's web app back in Node because we can charge more for Node." That is a thing, isn't it? <laughs> and now we're going to go. I mean, I yeah. in fact, your website is an API and the front end is another client for your for this API. And now anybody can create an app around it and nobody does. Right. I mean, you know who the biggest consumer of your API is going to be? Like 99.99% of the time? You. Yeah. And now right. what you've created is just a new monster, your own custom monster you have to maintain. Well, not only that, the four people who might actually care outside your organization, now you have to support those developers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's just not fun. Mm-mm. Um, I do wonder if, like, am I becoming a curmudgeon where I'm like, well, I can do this in Rails. Um you know, let, let's let's take like someone wants to write yet another Instagram like app, right? My thing would be like, well, okay, do the back end in Rails. Um, is is that wrong? I mean, I, I definitely know some other people would sell them on Go at this point, well, just uh, because it's the new shiny. Uh, this would be Alan Jude's argument for using PHP. It is, and it makes me want to throw up a little bit that I'm <laughs> making the PHP argument. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. That, at the end of the day, all you care about is returning JSON. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. like, I guess that you can argue the technology is different, but I don't know. I, I think it'd be interesting well, to look at the similarities. I mean, Node makes sense for when you're doing something event-driven, but mm-hmm. yes. most of the time you're not, right? Most of the time you're writing yet another relational application. So you know what's great? Anything plus Postgres. <laughs> yeah. Hell, it could be ASP. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd like to see you go full curmudgeon for like a good six months. I don't think you'd make it longer than three. I'd like to see you try six. I haven't. I have not. Like, I, 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 Chris, I've tried. All right. I tried. Like, I'm trying to get into the Go thing, mm-hmm. but I have no reasonable use case for it. Yeah, there. that's really what it is. That's, that is, that's my thing, too. That is big reason why I just keep putting things off of is for, for learning Ruby or Python for myself is, I have so many other things to do, and I just don't have a problem yet that I can conceptualize that that solves. I bet if I, like if I could go spend another week in a, in a tent somewhere, in a pop-up tent by a river, I could probably come up with a few things I wouldn't mind developing. But in the meantime, I just don't have time to come up with anything. Well, I mean, and, and it, this is not just a defense of Rails, right? This is like, if you're a Django guy, oh, 
okay if you're a Java play guy. Great. Like or Rust, like Rust is saying. You know, Rust we we get a console, but again, the same problem is like or hell, Perl, even PHP, even PHP, right? I actually think this argument you're making is the same argument a lot of people apply to not switching to say Linux. I mean, I could switch to Linux, but the Mac is basically doing everything I need. What 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 is the Mac not doing? Other than it costs me a lot of money, right? That that's I think that like there's that. Okay, but you're not even saving money, right? I mean, right? If you want to get a nice laptop, you're not really saving money, is what you're right. Yeah, right. Like if you want to buy the XPS 13, yeah. I don't know what, what is. I'm the not saying the argument. What am I missing? I. The, I'm not saying the argument's right. I'm just saying this sounds like the same argument not to switch platforms. And eventually, there is some compelling reason. There's some difference that you 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 know you, a problem you eventually need to solve, and that 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 difference has the solution in it. And you're like, well, okay, I'll try it. So mm-hmm. my concern is that I'm turning into what this guy turned into, right? From the uh, from the article, from yeah, the, the unemployable run. guy, yeah, right. He did the one thing for so long, and that was it. Yeah, you know, I did that to myself when it came to Windows administration. I'll tell you. I uh, I switched over. Well, uh, by the way, how is your Windows 10 install? Um, well, let me tell you. I reviewed <laughs> Windows 10 on this week's Linux Action Show, and that was a process. And by the way, thanks to YouTube for pulling down the video. Windows 10 versus Linux. Okay, yeah. Windows. That's such a great title. That was going to do great on YouTube. Windows 10 versus Linux, and they pull it down. Cool. Not because of the title. They pulled it down because we played a little video from Wired. Even though it was fair use because it was news commentary, Google. Thanks for assuming I'm guilty first. Anyways, uh, where, where, where was I going with that? Because I had, I had I was building towards something, but then the damn YouTubes. <clears throat> I tell you what. I, oh, I Windows Ten. Yeah. Windows Ten. Yeah. It was. It was an interesting experience. It was. I think it's a hot mess. I'm sorry. Really, I haven't tried it yet. So I, I here's it's it's decent performance wise, but usually every clean Windows installation is. Um, the start menu is is better than I expected, although uh, I don't find the tiles. I, a couple of problems I've had is like the, the the photos tile and the Xbox tile. They change uh, pictures so often that I don't actually know which one's which. I can't I, like I just don't have the locations memorized yet. Um, search seems fast. I don't I don't understand why it is conceptually okay. Like why why like when Linux. When Linux has a couple of different UIs, you're like, oh, Linux is so inconsistent. Oh, look at KDE. It's got so many buttons and options. And then yet in Windows 10, there's literally four spots for me to change my screen brightness. And, I, and, and literally, not joking, in one spot it says screen will sleep every 25 minutes. And another spot it says screen will sleep never. And I didn't know which one actually worked until I just left the computer alone for 25 minutes. Turns out it does go to sleep in 25 minutes. Even if you go into the power settings, it says screen sleeps for never. But then if you go into advanced, then it says screen sleeps in 25 minutes. But then if I click on the notifications area and I bring up the little notifications area with the buttons, it says my screen isn't asleep. And I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't tell you why everybody thinks it's such a great update because to me, it looks like a hot mess. It looks like three or four different UIs stacked on top of each other. I don't know why. It, Metro apps with a title bar, that doesn't seem like an improvement. That just seems like watered-down apps. Those should have been Windows applications with standard Windows controls. I don't know why they're Metro apps with a title bar. That doesn't make it better, not making it full screen. That just makes it still a half-assed application, in my opinion, that doesn't do as much as a Windows app that doesn't fit in with the rest of my desktop. And by the way, I don't know if anybody noticed, but it's 2015, and the fact that Microsoft barely has high DPI support is pretty pathetic. It's pretty pathetic. How long ago did Apple ship the MacBook Pro? Seriously. Oh, it's been a while, yeah. And when they shipped it, they got their operating system high DPI. Now, it took some third-party apps a while to update, but give me a break. You open up any MMC, control panel applet, error message, go to the event viewer, anything like that. It's, it looks like crap. It looks, it looks so blurry, it's almost unreadable. Because on, a, on my Dell XPS, Windows is scaling those dialog boxes up 250%. So, like, the, like the X in, like, an error message is all jaggy and gritty. Because it's scaling up the little tiny image 250% in, a, in an operating system that shipped in 2015. And, and, but all the reviews, it's great. Oh, it's revolutionary. It's amazing. It's a, it's a hot mess. I don't, I, I don't see what's what, it's more compelling over Windows 7 if you have a traditional desktop use. If you don't have a traditional desktop use, have Adidas. So, so okay. One, right, a vast majority of Windows users do not have high DPI screens. I, I disagree. There's a lot of... If you go over to Best Buy right now, yeah, half of those laptops have high DPI screens. All these guys upgrading from Windows 7 do not have new computers. Yeah, but a lot of people buying Windows 10 machines today are going to ship with the operating system that doesn't support the hardware it's shipping on. 
Yeah, but they're Windows users. They don't even know. Oh, whoa, but did I say that out loud? I, I guess I, I, I'll back up and I'll say this. Um, actually, no, I, I have issues with the privacy stuff, too. Like, it's pretty egregious what they're doing user privacy-wise in Windows 10 as well. So I don't – I just don't so, find it super compelling. So you're not going to be doing the Windows action show like I wanted. No, but I did give my review, and I tried to find the good things about it, too. I also find this Cortana not to be super useful, but its speech recognition is damn good. Damn good. I basically dictated an email slightly slower than I could type it, and it got pretty much all of it. It doesn't do things like new line and doesn't pick up things like exclamation mark super well, but just sitting here speaking like this. If I were sitting here speaking like this, dictating an email to Michael Dominic right now, I think it would be capturing every single thing I'm saying. So, yeah, you can, Sean PC asks if you can opt out of the privacy things. If you don't use a Microsoft account and you don't use Cortana, it saves you a bit. And, and so, so who's really using a Microsoft account? Like it, oh, anyone I, doing that? I think, I think every home user is. I did. Really? People understand that concept? Well, like, so, that's, so when you install Windows 10, it asks you for your Microsoft account. And it walks you through figuring out what your Microsoft account is. And if you have a Hotmail account or, you know, anything like that, then you, you know, don't know. Apple asked people to only log in with their – actually, you can do that, but no. no but I, I think you can no. now. I don't know. can now, but it's, it's kind of weirdly. Yeah. All right. So you know, There's other I, things, too, I don't like about it. Like if you use, if you use a OneDrive and then you oh use boy. BitLocker to encrypt your hard drive, it stores a copy of your BitLocker key in your OneDrive drive. And which is then that's accessible to anybody at Microsoft they, with a subpoena, or it's potentially accessible if somebody compromises your OneDrive account. And I just it, it, that just these kinds of settings that users won't know about are are disturbing. Uh, it you know it collects app usage data and it, it monitors the applications you use on Windows and collects metrics on that and sends that to them. It, it collects metrics on the networks that you connect to and then sends that to Microsoft. Uh, I just I have a. It, it automatically prompts users to share the Wi-Fi network and passwords they join with their contact list. All these things, to me, are a little unsettling. And then you combine that with the, sort of the fact that the UI is still a little hit and miss. Like, it's better, but it's... Hmm. I don't think it's going to solve their problem. I think it's going to be a good stopgap, stop um, and the press has been really good for them. But we saw that coming. Um, I don't think it's going to change anything. So I think it actually will. I think what it'll do is it'll give Windows another couple of years, but basically I don't think it's going to... I think it's going to revitalize the .NET development community. What? I, are, are you... Nope. Just stroke it a little bit. I don't believe you. Nope. I think it is. I'm sorry. How? Okay. Look at the bigger picture, right? They open-sourced a bunch of .NET components... Xamarin is actually no Alex Bell. I am not high, but thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> Xamarin is making huge strides to make their skills once again marketable in a much broader sense, right? And a lot of people know and like C Sharp. You just retweeted the article about how dev- devastatingly boring the .NET ecosystem is right now for developers. Did I just do that? Well, you did it like this weekend or something, yeah. And it's in the subreddit. Yeah, no, right? I agree. The the op- I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm saying that this is going to be enough to wake them up. What about Windows 10, though, do you think does that? What what about Windows 10 gets people excited? Nothing. The same thing about Mac Yosemite or the Rio Grande edition or whatever the hell it's called. Oh, I'm sorry. El I don't don't know. I mean, from a developer standpoint, there's actually interesting uh, new APIs they add that are both available on iOS and Mac OS. I mean, look at now they're adding Metal even. On, on Mac OS. Yeah, it's because so many game developers are really Yeah, but I know, that. but core audio and core video have been adopted quite, quite, quite well. And these things are, you know, there's a potential. Actually, you know, Photoshop is getting, is, is getting metal support. Then if Adobe's doing it, I mean, I'm just, like, I look at, I look at, I don't, I'm not saying, like, there's just a bastion of development and excitement, but at least there's compelling things there for developers to ship real applications that do things. Uh, Microsoft wants developers to ship modern apps in their store, and by the way, their store no, is no, still pretty. No, that is not pr- what they want. See, you were living in 2012. I, I think you it's, mean 2015, because that's no, what they're doing. I, you go in their they, store. There's, there's not a up. single. There's not a. There's not a single Windows desktop app in their store. 
that is the the sideshow guy with the monkey and the jack in the box playing the tambourine or whatever when he smacks the symbols together. That's all a joke. They know it's a joke. No one's gonna. It's a waste of time. No one's gonna cross compile iOS apps and make Windows apps because it makes sense. Because then you have to support all those four users. I'm not They're following like how how you think Microsoft is encouraging developers to write stuff. It's the good press. There's already a huge market of downtrodden, oppressed.NET developers. I'm kind of over-exaggerating their situation. But really, they've been left out of a lot of the excitement over the last five to ten years, right? I mean, in all honesty, what do they have? Azure. But outside of the enterprise, it didn't mean a whole lot. And even in the enterprise, it really isn't. See, I, I think you are downplaying Azure and you are upplaying the Windows desktop. I think no, what's compelling. I, I think what's compelling for Microsoft for developers doesn't really have anything to do with the Windows desktop. I You're think right. It's, it doesn't. It has to do with the iPhone. Yeah, and it well, and, and backend services. Visual Studio, right? It has to do with Microsoft laptops now being real contenders to MacBook Pros. Give me a break. No I'm way. Serious. No I'm way. serious. No way. No way. You want? Okay. What the Surface Pro? Because they've sold what five million? I don't know what they. I'm sure they've sold more than that. But it I mean, doesn't the, matter. Windows 10, Surface Pro, Dell XPS, whatever. Hmm. Let, 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 all right, people who always call me on crap when I'm wrong. Let's, I'm going to be right this time. Six months from now, I bet the Xamarin is not only bigger, but they have a longer footprint, or Microsoft takes them over, or whatever weird way the .NET creeping into the mobile side continues to grow. The next version of ASP.NET is going to reassert their strength in that space this is it's and they're not going to kill the open right they're not going to kill ruby on rails they're not going to kill docker nothing like that but it's going to be hot again they're going to be revitalized and you're going to see a lot more interest Hmm. and because of that the only reasonable way i'm sorry xamarin people who like to use Macs, but you guys are just wrong to do that is visual studio and now that windows 10 doesn't suck People will do that, right? This is a hearts and mind thing, right? This is downtown Redmond. This is not, you know, is this technology better? Because it's not better. It's the, same, it's the same thing we just talked so about. So your idea, so basically your idea is that now that they've open sourced all these tools uh, and, and because there's a big, ginormous, uh, influential, influential company with skin in the game backing it, yes. that people will just gravitate that way because it's it's... It's Look over time. It's going to continue to be developed. and people just trust that more? Like I'm trying to. It's going to be okay to buy it for enterprises and for other companies. Look how desperate C sharp mm. developers have been to get on mobile. All these half cockamamie, and it's not just Xamarin. There have been a whole other half cocked ideas of getting getting C sharp on mobile. You know, I'll give you. I'll tell you where this does make sense. Is I'll give you an analogy. Is with Linux distributions. You know, Linux starts out as this small free thing, but as time went on, uh, there was a lot of options out there, but people like to go with Red Hat and Ubuntu because if they're a company, they like to know that there, A, is another company behind it developing it, and B, a support contract is available. Or, you know, yep. it's easily to get skills. And I think people often undersell the value of Ubuntu is the fact that Canonical exists and that Canonical can call up companies at Valve and say, hey, we'd like to work on this thing. Or they can call up all these different companies and say, hey, could you fly out to a developer conference and chat with us? And that makes such a huge difference when developing an operating system that companies will pick it just because they have another company behind it that can bankroll certain things. Or they'll pick something like Red Hat because there's a support infrastructure behind it, despite the fact that there's things out there like Debian or CentOS. Something you could be the same thing if you're a company and you're going to bet the farm on a big new project that you're developing in house. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's not even, you know, let, let's just narrow it down. Just take the case, the one case study of Xamarin, right? Why do you think all Xamarin itself and all these third party Xamarin developers were so excited that now they have a Microsoft seal of approval and now there's deeper integrations and some sort of quasi official support? Because it makes it easier to sell that platform to potential clients. Hmm. So you're thinking they they were thinking big. They're thinking big. It's why do people want a Rackspace server, right? Oh, because they they know they can call Rackspace and yell at them. Why do they want AWS? Because they know they've heard of AWS, right? It's name recognition. It's it's going to be huge, and it's not going to. No one's going to get put out of their job. It's not going to be like the '90s where they dominate. But the development community is going to be reinvigorated. And what is today's date? August 3rd. All right. 2015. December. 
let's see if anything's changed. Okay. I, this is uh, actually pretty interesting. I'd be surprised if it was that fast because of the momentum behind so many, so many other options. It could take longer. It could take longer. But yeah. I, I think certainly this time next year, the de, the de facto uh, mobile application development platform for enterprises will not, you know, it won't be PhoneGap or Cordova uncontested. Xamarin or some form of C-sharp-based microsoft goodness hmm. will be in there and it will actually be actively considered. All right, Chad, remind us in December, won't you? Uh, all right, you know what? I want to pop through some feedback, uh, but first I've got to mention DigitalOcean, the sponsor of the Coder Radio program. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word, lowercase. It'll give you a $10 credit. You can just apply it to your account. DigitalOcean is awesome. It's a simple cloud hosting provider, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own Linux system up and running or a free BSD box. They have uh, KVM-backed virtualization sitting on top of SSD drives connected to Tier 1 bandwidth all over the world. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, one terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a brand new one in Germany that is slick. It's really positioned really well for the neighbors. So if you want to do distribution in that region, this is a great data center. 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor. (laughs) 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor. (laughs) It's crazy. Wow. And then also their fastest SSDs yet. You can find some pictures uh, on uh, on, um, Instagram and on Google+. I think they're the DigitalOcean on Instagram, but just just search around on Instagram. What I really love about DigitalOcean, though, is their interface. It is so, so well done. It's very intuitive, but yet powerful. You can do everything from creating your droplet, templating your droplet, snapshots, destroying the droplet, te- uh, transferring it. They have different regions you can just choose from right in the UI. You can pick from Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CoreOS, CentOS, and even FreeBSD, private networking, IPv6. The private networking is slick because that doesn't count against your transfer. So if you want to have like a front-end web server and a back-end SQL server, a front-end proxy server, and a couple back-end rigs with assets, you can set up private networking between them, and that doesn't count against your transfer. <laughs> it's all on their internal LAN, right? So you're getting it just incredible speeds. And remember, our promo code, Coder Digital, will give you a $10 credit. You could try out their $5 rig for free, try out CoreOS for a little while, and see how neat it is to have a rolling base and containerization for the applications. Man, does that make developing so much more straightforward. You can build it on a container on your local machine and then pub- publish it up really nicely up to your DigitalOcean droplet and keep CoreOS, the base OS, up to date and fresh. Keep your applications, your development environment static inside that container. Manage your security updates locally when they're ready to go and test it. Publish them up to the CoreOS machine. It's a really neat system. Remember Coder Digital when you go to DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, are you ready for a little bit of feedback throwdown? Let's do this. Now, we have, a, we have one that you've tossed in here that was sent in as the tech boom workers turn to coding. Do you want to touch on that anymore? This kind of sounds like it wraps into what we've been talking about. Go ahead. All right. So this is an article over at uh, PostEncounter or PostCourier.com, and uh, it's a... Uh, about a 26-year-old math major who took three-a-month course in computer programming and data analysis uh, and uh, then went off to get a job in computing. Internet, internet giants like Google and Facebook have long fought over top software engineers, they say, in the country. But now, companies in most every industry, either by necessity or to follow the pack, are pursuing some sort of digital game plan, creating lucrative opportunities for computer-minded newcomers who, like Minton, want to reboot their lives. So there you go. I'm talking about boot camps... About the uh, ten, wow, wow. They're talking about the job openings available. They're talking, basically, they're, they're playing up the whole not enough jobs, and they're talking about boot camps. You know, I'll let I'll leave the rest of the audience to read. Good post sent into the show, though. Uh, good stuff to chew on, which fits in very well yeah. with what we're going on now. Yeah, uh, hey. yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. The Silver Knight, uh, the or yeah, the Silver Knight Seven actually on the subreddit. Want to talk about uh, web development? He says, is there any good info on web programming such as Angular JS or React? I really want to get into web development and have run through some of the Treehouse courses in Code Academy, but I'm having a rough time putting it into practice to create a portfolio. Right now, I've been trying out AngularJS and React, but having a hard time getting to something on the page. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? Do you want to talk about this? Give me any general pointers, maybe? Yeah, so uh, Bug and I were pretty deep into Angular. Angular is in a weird place because Angular 2 just came out, or 2.0, or whatever the hell you want to call it, to be trendy and cool. Um, but it is one of those 
big releases that isn't necessarily an easy upgrade. So your first thing is if you want to go Angular, actually, I, I would even dial it back. Because I think I replied to this one on the subreddit. Depending on where you are, it may not even be appropriate to be diving into a huge framework, right? Yeah, I was going to say, is it maybe yeah. better to start with basics? I would almost say, you know, the code school JavaScript courses are great. Um, mm, HTML, okay. CSS. I used to always say just look at jQuery, but, you know, more and more I'm finding it's better to kind of leave jQuery as almost a last resort. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know. I, f- I feel like that's telling me to jump into the deep end a little bit. I, that is the deep end, right? jQuery makes life a lot easier. Yeah, I know, but that's the part of the problem. Well, it's huge. I mean, the real problem is that it's like Xbox huge. I feel so. like, I mean, I feel like this question, this question skips right. I feel like this question is sort of represents what's kind of super wrong right now is I feel like it's totally bypassing like the basic fundamentals and saying going right to I want to just have the magic pack that uh, does things for me. I feel like what yeah. it needs to do is go to the developer.mozilla.org page and uh, kind of start there. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, speak down to him, but the question to me invokes a, a two fundamental problems. That I see right here. Number one is, I think, a lack of the understanding of the basics. But number two, um, uh, something we kind of say all the time on this show is if you really want to start there, then uh, what I would do is go find an open source project that's that's something that you can understand, which is the size of something that you can wrap your head around. Fork it, create a copy of it, and start breaking it for yourself and see where it goes. But honestly, I think if you haven't gotten the fundamentals down yet, you might start there. Well, and, and not to be a total show for code school, but, but let's say we're misreading this, right? And he is at that more intermediate level where he should start looking at frameworks, right? Um, they have an Angular, uh, what do they say? They have an Angular course, thank you. Yeah. They have a Backbone JS course. They have a Ember course. And I think they may, may, what's the other big one, Chris, help me? I'm actually looking right now at... Uh you know, Linux Academy coursewares, too. That's true, too. They probably have some. Yeah, yeah. they do. They yeah. do. And so that's something else to consider is uh, I'm going right now, I'm going through, geez, there's so many courses here. But, uh, but you know, I'm a little, see, and we had this a couple weeks ago, so if you didn't listen to the show, I'd go back. You know, there's a lot of insert noun.js going on right now. Yeah. And, I mean, yes, I'm using Angular quite a bit, but I'm... You know, you don't need to know all of them, right? You don't need to, you know, React. I would say React is much more advanced. And to be honest, I don't like this whole reactive programming thing. Mm. I'm a curmudgeon. (laughs) You probably don't need to be on the bleeding edge for most things, right? Looping right back into what we talked about before. I guess so, yeah. Uh, Although, what the hell is Vanilla JS? Someone just posted in the chat. (laughs) There you go. See, well, it's 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 been a half hour, so. It's been a while. People yeah. are just like taking nouns, putting JS next to them. It's Vanilla JS sounds tasty. That does sound pretty tasty. I thought it was going to be a joke. Like this is just JavaScript, stupid. Yeah, yeah. No, no. All right. No, you should look at look at JavaScript. The good parts, if you haven't read it, that that's where you should go. Ooh, I got I got the new HTML5 player on YouTube. It's very fancy. Hey, I also I wanted to link to a video, or you linked to a video, and I wanted to mention it uh, in the show notes. Uh, go on mobile. Speaking of everything I hate in one video. Yeah, so exactly. And my name is Hannah. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about how to use go for mobile platform so that is uh go for con 2015 and we'll have a link to that in the show and notes. I came from google she's uh she's i've actually seen some of her other presentations she's really good she's smart um, she's brilliant you might say in this case her whole premise is wrong oh well but not her fault though right i mean not because her fault. she's promoting go it's her she job. can't help it yeah she's been right. influenced she's been influenced doing her job uh you, you of course you'd probably be the best person to watch that video then <laughs> I, no, I did watch it, actually. Excellent oh, okay. presentation. Oh. Looks cool. I don't totally unnecessary. You. I don't believe you. Get you don't believe out me. of here. Boy, you're, right. you're arguing with yourself now, Mr. Dominic. That might be a sign it's time to wind this puppy down. Is there Let's anything wind it down so any, I can right. get my Visual Studio on. All right, and remember, grab yourself a nice Budweiser because... Uh, Budweiser commercial featuring the crew cut. Where there's life, there's fun. Uh, actually... Come on, now it's time. This is time for a drink, Mr. Dominic. It's the end of the show. Yeah. yeah my dog just peed on the floor. I'll have that instead of the Budweiser. <laughs> okay, all right. I think that's probably, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, when you're not talking about dog piss, uh, where else would you like to send people throughout the week? 
I just go to Buccaneer.io. It's fun. That's nice. I like that. You can also follow him on, uh, he's on the Twitters, at Domnuku, and Buccaneer, at Buccaneer Tech. I'm on the Twitters. Did you know that? At Chris LAS. You can follow the network for news and announcements at Jupiter Signal. Find out when we're live, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We do it on a Monday, so noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. We'd love to have you show up in our chat room. Email us. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, won't you? Topics, coderadio.reddit.com. Feedback's welcome there as well. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. Jeez, happy August, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>